all of us at some time or other, whether we like to admit it or not, make mistakes. Sometimes we do things which we wish we hadn't done. I will not name and shame uh, the church member, other than to say his first name is Sid, who mistakenly uh, put petrol in his diesel engine car. Even belonging to a family like he does, who own a garage. But anyway, the reason I'm not going to... Um, The reason I'm not going to do this is because just two weeks ago I sent a confidential email to the chairman of a board I serve on and didn't notice that it was a group email that went to 500 of the members of the organization as well. You know, it's like you just press the button send and I say, ah! <laughs> and I immediately said, can I do anything? They said, nope, it's gone, sorry. Sometimes we... We, we fail to do things that we wish we later had. I have some colleagues who I used to work with, brilliant intellectuals, returning to mission service in Brazil. This is perfectly true. They arrived at Heathrow, went through immigration. The passport guy looked at their passports. He looked at the newborn baby in their arms and said, what about the baby? They'd forgotten to put the baby on the passport. Now, such mistakes are not only embarrassing, they can also be expensive. Uh, you can ask our friend how much it cost him to have the petrol tank um, emptied and refilled. And uh, fortunately for my friends at Heathrow, I, I don't know if this is still the case, but they had a place where you could go and get your children added to your passport, even there in Heathrow Airport. So I wouldn't recommend it. When you realise you've made a mistake, the first thing you do, as I did with my email mistake, is to ask, what can I do to put it right? Uh, sadly, there are some mistakes that can never be rectified. And imagine for a moment discovering that you are party to the execution of an innocent person. That was a case in the worst mistake ever made in human history. Some 2,000 years ago, in the city of Jerusalem, a large crowd, much bigger than this one, listened in stunned silence as they were told, in no uncertain terms, that they had killed an innocent man. And worse still, no ordinary man. But the Messiah, or to use the Greek word, the Christ, that they, the people of Israel, had been expecting for centuries. So naturally enough, faced with their guilt, they wanted to know what they should do. And that's the subject I want to think about briefly this evening. I chose a title, which sounded a rather strange title, What to do when you've murdered the Messiah. What to do when you've murdered the Messiah. Now, I want us to pick up the story. You'll find it in the Bible, and there are Bibles in the pews. It'll help to turn to one. Um, it's in the New Testament part of the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, in the book of Acts, and if you need the page number, it's page 1093. And these are the events recorded. In, this is actually the day we celebrate 
the coming of the Holy Spirit on a Jewish festival called Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. So it's very appropriate for our baptismal service and also for this special day. And, and the speech was given by a man called Peter who had been a fisherman. So let's pick up the story uh, and the speech, which is a summary of what he said, in verse 22, Acts 2, 22. Here he is speaking to the crowd. Try and follow the argument. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died, was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is God's word, the account of what happened. Now, just notice first of all the title I've chosen. What to do when you've murdered the Messiah. You see, you can read a story like that and think, well, that's an interesting story. You know, like one of those television documentaries, historical, interesting human, but it's no relevance to us. We weren't there. It's 2,000 years ago. We're not responsible. But if we think that, we're compounding our mistake. If we fail to recognize our own personal responsibility, why Jesus died and who was responsible. One writer puts it like this. The sin of people today put Jesus to death 
just as surely as the sinful hatred of first century people. With Peter's audience, first audience, we must return to the scene of the crime, the cross. We must face up to our guilt before Almighty God the Judge. We must throw ourselves on His mercy asking, what shall we do? Now, those who are being baptised today have asked that question, what shall we do? They've accepted God's answer, which Peter gave. I simply want to remind you, as we look carefully at what he said, for this is the most important answer to the most serious question we can ever ask. The answer to the question, what should we do? What did he say? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 38-39. Now, very simply, I'm going to be as brief as I possibly can, because our time is going. Uh, you can break this into two parts as you look at this answer. First of all, we learn what God commands, what we are to do. And secondly, we are to look at what God promises. Look at what God commands, first of all. Peter tells his anxious audience, asking, what should we do? That they must do two things. First of all, he says, you must repent. Now, it's not a very common word we use today, is it? Repent. What does it mean? Well, it, the Greek word that's translated repent simply means to change your mind. Peter says, you've got to change your mind. But change your mind about what? Admit you're wrong about what? Well, in this context specifically, he says to the people he's speaking to, you've got to change your mind about Jesus. To admit you've been wrong about Jesus. If we go back to the events of this remarkable day that we call the day of Pentecost, the whole city was thrown into amazement when these unschooled northerners from Galilee burst onto the streets of Jerusalem speaking about God in languages that they'd never learned to the pilgrims gathered for the festival from different parts of the world. They were all saying, how come? These people aren't trained, they're not educated, yet we hear them speaking the wonderful deeds of God in our own languages. What's it mean? And Peter stands up and he says, listen, let me explain it carefully to you. And he explains carefully, he says, what's happening today is what God foretold would happen through the Hebrew prophets long ago, that God would pour out His Spirit upon all people. And then he says, this is connected with somebody that you're, you all know about. Someone called Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, you fail to understand this Jesus of Nazareth. You need to change your minds about Jesus. So he begins, look very carefully, first of all, with the life and ministry of Jesus. He says, Jesus was accredited by God. Men of Israel, listen to this. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He says, you could see the evidence of who he was because of the miracles he did and the wonderful deeds in his teaching and preaching. And then he turns to the death of Jesus. He says, you did it, but God planned it. This man, verse 23, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But that wasn't the end of the story. 
It wasn't the end of Jesus, says Peter, because God has raised him from the dead. He's been vindicated by God. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and so we're all witnesses of this fact. And finally, he says, this Jesus has now ascended. He's in the place of highest authority. He's been exalted by God. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit that he has poured out upon you. Can you see the explanation? Starts off with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, links it with Jesus, and says it's all connected together. It's all tied in with Jesus. You've seen this. You know it's true. And so he concludes, verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You see, the people who are listening haven't been assured at all about Jesus. They've been totally wrong about Jesus. They'd not only failed to accept his claims, but they'd killed him. Now, Peter says, you've murdered the Messiah. You've crucified the Christ. And this Christ is now Lord of all. At the right hand of God, Lord and Christ. And you're going to have to face him. So it's no surprise that the people responded. They said, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see, what convicted them about their guilt? What caused them to change their minds? Well, it wasn't just the explanation, important though it was. It was that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and when he spoke, God spoke through him and challenged the people about their personal guilt and responsibility. In fact, Jesus said before he left his disciples, he said, when I go to heaven, I'll send the Holy Spirit and one of the things he's going to do when he comes is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, Judgment. Now, here's the first example of it happening. As Peter preaches, the people are cut to the heart. They're convicted and they cry out, what should we do? And whenever a person preaches the good news of Jesus, it's not human eloquence. It's not just the explanation. God speaks to people and you realise your own personal responsibility. It was your sin that made it necessary for Jesus to go to the cross. In a real sense, all of us are guilty in the crime of murdering the Messiah. And when we hear that, we say, what must we do? And the first thing is, you've got to repent. You need to change your mind about Jesus. Now, I simply ask you this evening, have you ever come to that point? Have you ever been convicted of your own personal responsibility before God? How interesting that several of the candidates shared about that, that they were aware of their sin that they needed to turn from their sin, needed to turn to Christ. Have you ever been convicted of your responsibility in the death of Jesus? Have you been cut to the heart? That's the first thing Peter says. But notice he links it. He says, what should we do? Here's the second thing. Repent and be baptised. Did you see the link there? Now, a lot of scholarly ink has been spilt on this question. What is he saying here about baptism? Is he saying that you've got to be baptised in water, otherwise you'll not become a Christian? Well, that would contradict the history and the story of the Gospels, uh, the story of the book of Acts in many different places. No, the, the essential, as it were, Siamese twin, if you like, of repentance is not baptism, but faith in Jesus. That is trusting in Jesus for your salvation. 
So why does Peter not talk about faith here? Well, he does, because notice what he says. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But baptism is stressed here by Peter for good reason. He's speaking to a Jewish audience. Now, the Jewish people knew about baptism. Because when Peter spoke, Jewish people didn't get baptized. The only people who got baptized were Gentiles, non-Jews, who wanted to become Jews. The Jewish people were proud of their own heritage. But Peter says, if you're going to show your allegiance to Jesus, you need to be baptized in a public and visible way. Not only showing that you've changed your mind, but baptism marks a change of allegiance to Jesus. It's being identified with Jesus, saying, I'm nailing my colours to the mast. I belong to Jesus. Now, this is no easy matter. It's hard enough for these six being baptised. But for many people in the world today, being baptised, standing up and being counted, is a very costly business indeed. I think of when I was assistant pastor in my first church, we baptised a young woman who was from a Muslim background, from a very high-ranking family, sat down and talked to her and said, you realise this is a costly step? Yes, she said. She heard from her father back home. He said to all his friends, my daughter has died. She no longer exists. Very costly business for many people today to be baptised in a public way. Now, I simply ask you this evening, I know Christians have different views on baptism, sincerely held by Bible-believing Christians. But I simply ask you, have you been baptised? Have you nailed your colours to the mast? Is it a matter of theological understanding or is it a matter of pride about our religious pedigree? Are you prepared to count the cost and to publicly stand up and be counted and say, I belong to Jesus? You see, when we devalue baptism, we devalue the cost of identifying with Jesus. Now, baptism itself, let me make it absolutely clear, there's nothing magical about the water. It's normal Edinburgh Soft water. Take it from a fish keeper. Okay. And there is nothing special about myself and Colin who will be doing the baptism. It is an outward sign of something that God has done within you. An outward visible sign of an inward invisible grace of God at work. But it doesn't mean it's not important. It is an act of obedience. Jesus said to his followers before he left them, He said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And in the book of Acts, people who who became Christians, who repented and trusted in Jesus, were baptized. Usually as soon as possible on the day of Pentecost, there was no gap. The people were baptized as a result of that. Repentance, faith and baptism in water go together. So baptism is not only public, it's also personal. Public and personal. That's why Peter stresses, there's a big crowd of people, he says, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's a personal matter for each of us here today, for the six who are being baptised. Have you responded to what God commands? Repent and be baptised. Repentance means changing your mind about Jesus. Maybe you've always had the wrong idea about who Jesus really is. That he's not the Son of God. He is the Son of God and Lord of all. The promised Christ. Have you been baptised? A change of allegiance to Christ. But obedience to God 
is always compensated by the fact that God gives great blessings to those who obey him. So notice briefly two things that follow. What God promises. There are two things God asks us to do, to repent and be baptized. There are two things God promises. The first thing is the forgiveness of sins. You see, your greatest need and my greatest need is that we might be forgiven by God. All our personal problems, even ultimately the world's problems, stem from this underlying cause that all have sinned, fallen short of God's glory in rebellion against God. You see, sin is not primarily a legal term, it's a relational term. What is done to a person and the relationship with God for which we were made has been broken. And without it, our lives are empty, broken by sin. Unless our sin is forgiven, that relationship cannot be restored. And if it's not restored, then we live in a state that the Bible calls death, which becomes final when we physically die. The wages of sin, says the Bible, is death. And worst of all, there's no way we can ever pay the debt off. The slate cannot be wiped clean. Like some of the poorest nations on earth, we can't even pay off the interest, let alone the capital that we owe. We just add to the debt of burden of guilt and despair. But the debt has been wiped out through Jesus, who paid the price that we could never pay, so that God's justice and mercy are satisfied. That's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. And Peter says God has shown that this has been accepted because God raised Jesus from the dead. He's exalted to the right hand of God. He has the authority and power alone to forgive sin. So now through him, in his name, there is forgiveness of sins for those who identify with Jesus as we mark it in this act of baptism. Forgiveness of sins means a change of relationship with God. Apostle Paul writes to Christians in Rome, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first thing, the wonderful thing that God promises to do. But there is more. Just as repentance is linked with baptism in water, so forgiveness of sins is linked with baptism in the Holy Spirit. So God also promises the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who repent and put their trust in Christ. But what Peter says again in verse 33, he says, Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, has poured out what you now see and hear. The first disciples were waiting in that upper room. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. They went out into the streets to tell people about what God had done. And Peter now says, the gift that we received, this gift of the Holy Spirit, is for you as well. God's gift is promised to you, not just for us. So the gift of the Holy Spirit means that you come to belong to God's people. It means a change of community. It means being included in God's family. And Peter says it's a promise to future generations. The promise is for you and your children. For the succeeding generations of people. And most important of all for most of us here, it's not restricted to those of Jewish descent but extends to all nations, to Gentiles as well as Jews, and to all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see, God is still calling out people to himself, to belong to his people. And in baptism, 
It shows that we belong to God's family as well. We identify with Jesus. We identify with his people. So we too can be included if we respond to God's call. As Peter said in his message, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I've almost finished, but let me ask you, have you responded to God's call? Are you part of God's family? Have you repented? Changed your mind about Jesus? Have you identified with them in faith and marked it by baptism? Change of allegiance. Then you receive the forgiveness of sins, a change of relationship with God, and you receive the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, you may be saying to me, well, I'd love to be a Christian, but I could never live that kind of life. Of course you couldn't. That's why God gives you His Holy Spirit to enable you to be holy. Let me conclude. We began with mistakes we make things we do that we wish we hadn't done and things we fail to do which we later wish we had done. Now these actually are trivial matters compared with the serious issues which have been our focus today. All of us have done things we wish we hadn't done. All have sinned, fall short of God's glory. God's just sentence is the wages of sin is death. But let's make sure that none of us fails to do what we should do. To respond to God's call, to be baptized, to turn from our sin, for the forgiveness of our sins. These are matters of life and death. Luke tells us that Peter concluded his message with many other words, with warning and pleading, summarized by his words, save yourself from this corrupt generation. On that momentous day, 3,000 people responded and were added to God's family. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Today in this baptismal service, we mark the fact that six people have responded to that same call of God, being added to his family. What about you? What is your response? The Bible says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we live in the day of grace, the day of salvation, when we can respond to your call. And as we've heard that call, however feebly presented in human words this evening, speak to us, we pray. Call people to put their trust in you and help us to respond in repentance and faith. To stand up and be counted by being baptized. And thank you for the promise of forgiveness of sin. The gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, this is a serious issue. A matter of great and eternal importance. Help us not to take it lightly. but to respond today while we can. We ask it in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.